Hello and welcome to a new episode of What's Normal with Gabriel Sanders. Hello, I am Gabriel Sanders. This episode is titled Optimism Through Nihilism. My friend and guest Brent Weichel coined that phrase, and we will learn what it means to them later in the show. I created my show to not only share what's normal to me and about my normal, but to more importantly learn about other people's normal. In this talk, you will hear about RPG or role-playing games and gaming terminology that may be new to you. You will also hear terminology that has evolved from gender awareness, which also may be new to you, as this was all new to me. Brent is big into the world of RPG, and they are also non-binary, and go by the pronouns of they, them. So these are two worlds here that I was not fully aware of until we had this amazing conversation that was essentially split into two halves, gaming and gender awareness, merged by the concept of identity and Brent's own personal journey. I'm going to be honest and say that I still stumble on gender pronouns. My wife Carrie has caught me saying he when I should have said they or them or there, and it's not out of disrespect at all, it's what I'm used to. As for gaming, I was introduced to D&D or Dungeons and Dragons as a child, but it never caught on. In college, I tried the card game Magic the Gathering. It was fun, but I had enough trouble figuring out myself, who I was, how I was and what I was in my own skin. Trying to live and figure out another identity was too much. Identity is discussed throughout the talk like a string attaching the parts of the conversation. This string theory is actually brought up by Brent as a gaming term. The connection between you and other characters and how each of you have an effect in each other, like in real life, and like in a game called Monster Hearts, a role-playing game that takes place in high school. Brent was so open and honest about their discovery of their own identity. Gaming has been a part of their life for a long time, but their personal journey has only recently begun. This is Brent's normal. And I was so honored and so touched and moved that they shared their normal with me and with you. So much is covered in this episode. I feel that the talk begins with the beginning and ends with the beginning. Maybe you'll agree. So please enjoy my conversation, Optimism Through Nihilism, with my friend Brent Weichel. And then stay tuned to after the episode for the beautiful music by the amazing cellist Zoe Keating performing her Optimist. Share your thoughts on this topic or on other topics or issues that are mentioned in the show by contacting me on Facebook, Twitter, email, or voicemail. Thank you so much for listening. Hello. Hey. So there's a question I've been wanting to ask you mm-hmm. um, for so long, and I just never had the opportunity to ask. And maybe that's part of my character, uh, if I could say that. My question is, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Weichel. Weichel. So, yeah. So my mom's a school teacher, so she actually figured out a way, because like, obvi- a lot of people just call her Mrs. W because they can't, but... For kids who are trying to say it, the, she figured out a trick, which is just say white sail really, really fast, repeatedly. And eventually you kind of just like blend. It's, it sounds kind of like Weichel. It gets you close enough. You know what I mean? Whatever. White sail, Weichel. Yeah. And if you just say it like white sail, white sail, white sail, white sail, like 
you kind of get close. I can share the same problems I've had with my name growing up because Gabriel, I had moments of being in elementary school mm-hmm. or going to a new camp or even going into junior high where, you know, on your report cards or on your paperwork, they would put your gender, mm-hmm. you know, your sex. And they would sometimes put F. Right. Or they'd spell my name wrong. Um, there was one summer of sleepaway, not sleepaway camp, one summer of camp. And I think I've al- I was already going to this camp a little while, but for some reason this year of camp, they split up all boys in one bus for the pickups and drop-offs and all girls another bus. Mm-hmm. And they put me in the girls' bus. And that kind of, that messed with me. Mm. Um, or, um, or my last name, Sanders, they want to add a U. But my name, Gabriel, Gabrielle, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, I can imagine that happens a lot. My, my wife's name is Carrie, which is, um, it's an androgynous name. And her respect, and I, and I loved her idea, was when we have our, we have two girls, we want to have androgynous names. Yeah. Um, so we met on a TV show. Pretty much everyone I know. <laughs> yeah. I would say 85% of people that I know I met on a, on, a, on a TV show. And there it is, the book behind you. That was a TV show. Uh, which one? Dangerous Book for Boys. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. It was that one. Holy crap. Yeah. You know, we're Facebook friends. And um, I don't want to say I follow you, but I, I see your posts. And you mention gaming terminology mm-hmm. and terminology regarding robots or wizardry. So you're a gamer. Yeah, yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, RPG nerd specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm actually working on my own RPG. I'm writing it right now. Uh, I actually had a playtest session last night. Um, That's wild. Yeah, it's actually, it, when lockdown started, I hit up my friends. I was like, hey, I know we talked about doing this, but like, are you down to just do it weekly? We're not doing anything. So like, we just had our 15th session last Monday. And we haven't even, like, there's been some weeks we've missed or whatever. Yeah. But it's been a great thing for us all to just like, and it also just gives us an excuse to hang out, you know, like even if we don't end up gaming and it's kind of the only thing I have. It, it, it's interesting because like I have three games a week and they've kind of been the only thing that have been like set, you know what yeah. I mean? This whole time. It's like my only real like schedule because like, you know, time and days of the week mean fucking nothing right now. Right, right. You know, but like, oh, Monday I have a game. Tuesday I have a game. Friday I have a game. You know what I mean? To give some structure to the week, which has been really helpful. There may not be many people who know what gaming is. Yeah, I can, or, I can, I can talk about. It. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I got into um, my uncle was really into D and D back way back in the day. He like you know first the when it first came out. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Dungeons. Sorry, Dungeons and Dragons. And I got back and I got into that in middle school. Um. And, uh, you know, I just, at the time, I couldn't find anyone to play with. So I would just buy the books and read them because I thought the lore was interesting. You know, really didn't even wrestle with the mechanics, but I liked it just more as like encyclopedias to like crazy worlds, you know. But also like, because they were games, they would have all the stats and everything for everything, which I really, really got into because I'm, I'm a giant nerd. You know, I like the details. We, we both work in very technical fields, you know. Yeah. We can geek out about like the specs of things and... Um, but then I got really into it, uh, in college cause I finally had people to play Dungeons and Dragons with. And then I kind of got out of it for a little bit, still always like would check in on it, but like I stopped playing for a couple of years when I moved to New York, you know, getting my career started. Um, and then I met a group of, I went to start going to this gaming store. Um, yeah, 
I don't know why I'm telling this story, but yeah. So like our pen and paper RPGs, I, I've branched out a lot from Dungeons and Dragons. I actually don't play Dungeons and Dragons too much. What is RPG? Uh, RPG means role-playing game. Okay. So you can have uh, Dungeons and Dragons would be considered like a pen and paper um, role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that along with like board games, like um, not so much like, board games like Monopoly, but board games more like Risk or Settlers of Catan, you know, board games that are a lot more structured and a lot more rule heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wargaming as well, you know, with miniatures, those all kind of fall under the traditional RPG sort of um, banner, traditional games, versus you obviously now have video games that have RPGs, and I love those as well, but um, I tend to um, go more towards story-based RPG games mm-hmm. than like like I haven't even played Skyrim once, even though that's like one of the biggest RPG video games ever made. You know, they've re-released it so many times. So is that something like when I was in college, I had friends who would like to play Magic, a card game called mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering. Is that yeah, similar? I, I play. I actually I have right here my Magic cards and uh, I got my binder. So I play Magic too. Um, yeah, so Magic would be considered sort of in that traditional game sort of like any um there's a there's a uh, name uh, of acronym called uh, lgs which is sorry uh flgs friendly local gaming store mm-hmm. and that's where you would go in and like you would see like they would have the magic cards and the pokemon cards and you could buy your D minis dragon figurines all that sort. so it's anything that would sort of be sold in one of those sort of stores mm-hmm is sort of that thing. And also like anything you would think of, um, there's this really, really big convention called Gen Con um, out in the Midwest every year. And that's all about those type of games. I actually have never been myself um, and who knows if conventions will ever happen again, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah. I have, a, I have a question and I have a little bit of a, I have a little bit of a preface to my question. Mm-hmm. Being in the, in the entertainment industry, in the film and television entertainment industry, there, there was, something that moved us to want to work in it. And it was, a, I think for me, I'm going to speak for myself first, was the stories involving myself in the stories that I'm watching or identifying myself in these characters that I'm watching, imagining myself that I'm in these, I'm in these worlds and what if I'm in this world, what if I did this or I did that. Um, and there are games like that where you can actually replay movies or replay TV shows. And so mm-hmm. as far as, and then I'm getting closer to my question, as far as these all this all um, RPG and these and these gaming worlds, one word that pops up to my head is identity. Mm-hmm. Is living in a either living in another identity or imagining yourself in a different identity. So um, when you come in, when you go into this gaming world, do you have um, are there wishes fulfilled in the identity? Do you prefer to be like a wizard compared to, I mean, I'm, I don't know anything really much. No, no, totally. I, um, yeah. So it's actually, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I, uh, I have a sort of home con, um, sci-fi con that I just really like, and I've been to a couple of times and I started going on being on actually on panels the last couple of years there. Yeah. And one of the panels I was on was actually a panel about, RPG games as a gateway to identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a fascinating panel. Um, it was me and it, um, I'm, I'm non-binary and uh, uh, my pronouns are they, them. And that was actually the first time I had ever used they, them pronouns. Cause I was like, you know what? I know this con is super queer friendly and all of that. So I tried it out, but it was, so it was me, um, a non-binary person, uh, a younger kid who was, uh, 
I'm, he didn't say gender or sexuality, I assume male, um, and then a trans woman, and then someone who was actually uh, in the seminary, but not to be a pastor, but literally just as like a, a student of theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really interesting, uh, all these different people talking about it, because for some people, it is wish fulfillment. For other people, it's, you know, I want to embody something that I'm not just for a moment. Um, or, you know, other people, it is exactly just exploring identity, whether it's an identity they want to become or just their own identity. And I've done that for myself in all sorts of different ways. So like, and you bring up, um, you know, do you, do I tend towards one sort of thing or another? And I totally do. Me and my gaming group, we all know each other's like what our sort of like who we are as a class. If, 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 you, if everyone had to be assigned into a Dungeons & Dragons class, what class would you be? You know, I mean, we're geeks. We like to do these categories. You know, it's yeah. a, you know who would win? Batman, Superman, same sort of idea, you know? Right. Um, and mine is actually pretty firmly a paladin. Um, what is that? So a paladin, um, in traditional Dungeons & Dragons, a paladin is basically a holy warrior of some deity. Um, in the earlier editions, you had to be, um, so there's a thing called an alignment system okay. in Dungeons & Dragons that is starting to go away, but it, it was way more important in the beginning of the game. And I'm not going to get into the details of that because you could have an entire podcast series just about the alignment chart. Okay. But uh, uh, back in old thing, you had to be a lawful good paladin. So that was okay. your alignment. So you had to be good and to follow laws. Uh, they've ditched that, which I really like. And now paladins are all about Basically, you have to swear an oath to an ideal. Okay. And the ideal does not have to be good. Okay. Um, the, it's just an ideal. So in the base game, uh, here, I can even pull up I have the PDFs here. There's uh, Oath of heroism, heroism, which is just, I'm a hero. You know, I'm trying to help people. There's the Oath of Ancients, which is all about protecting the natural course of things. And then there's the Oath of Vengeance, which is all basically evildoers got to get got. Evil doers got to get God. Yeah, like some people deserve to die, you know, okay. like go, go hunting down. And again, this is Dungeons and Dragons where there's undead zombies and vampires and werewolves okay. and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, e- you know, there's objectively evil gods. And, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I've always been someone who's been a very uh, politically aware, if not politically active person. And recently, I've, you know, the older I get, the more politically active I get. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's you know the paladin is not just a if you were talking about the archetype is not just a warrior but also a like a frontline support person which and there's a lot of ways you can go with the class like how you build it but that that sort of ideal of i'm on the front lines but i'm not on the front lines to fight i'm on the front lines to protect is something i really really identify with personally Um, I mean, you know, you've seen me on set. I can get pretty feisty if I think yeah. something's unjust or wrong, and I'm not going to be quiet about it. So, and, do you feel like do you feel like that your the character uh, in this world, or or for other people as well, if yourself reflects or strengthens who you are in, I guess, in, a, in the real life outside of the game, or vice versa? It can for sure, and it, it also depends. Like I. Um, the the D and D the Dungeons and Dragons game I'm in now I'm actually playing a druid because I wanted to do some like more like spirituality stuff and more as like an exploration for me because I'm an atheist like I'm not really that much of a spiritual person but 
I also am interested in that. And I also like do have a great respect for the natural world and everything. So I was like, oh, let me kind of play with these ideas a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so it sometimes can be that. And also like, I've also been really um, getting into my heritage of uh, Irish, German, and Scottish and really learning, learning a lot about like older sort of fey things and whatnot. And I've been bringing that stuff into my character as I learn more about like, you know, my ancient mythology sort of, mm. if, for lack of a better term. That's fascinating that, and that's, that's amazing for you, I guess you could, uh, if I can say that you are not this, you don't believe in, in what this character believes in, but you're open-minded to see what's that deal. What, you know, so you're gonna go and, and explore that character and bring your own personal aspects into it and, and follow their path to see that's, that doesn't really happen in real life. Yeah, no, it, it is that solely happens. something that ha- like basically actors and yeah. people who play role-playing games do. Right, Nobody exactly. else really gets into headspaces. Like, you know, we, we, you know true crime fa- fans, yeah. you know, will read all sorts of stuff about serial killers, but that's not right. really necessarily about getting in the mind of a serial killer. It's more about the pathology of a serial killer. Yeah. Which, you know, is fa- not really a thing I'm into, but I understand how that could be fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, those are sort of the two avenues I personally see where people really sort of do this in a conscious way. And like, you know, and we all hear actors like, oh, I wanted to try, you know, I've always played the good guy. I want to play a villain. Right. You know, I want to get into that headspace. I, you know, I'm tired of being the good guy, you know? Right. And in the same token, like I've also played games with my friend where I'm like, Hey, let's all be villains, like evil. Let's be evil people. Mm. And like, just play one game like that, you know, make some evil characters and just like, not be the good guys let's fight the good guys yeah. you know does that help you does that help um you could say that art helps with a, with like a therapy or music is a therapy is that a therapy totally. to you um so that's actually a tricky subject um mm. because there is um there is this sort of growing movement uh within like role-playing games sort of yeah. you know the fandom community don't turn your role-playing game into your therapy Interesting. Like, and what I mean by this is, let's just crazy, let's wild examples. Let's say you have a traumatic past with authority figures for whatever reason. You know, you're, everyone around the table is not a trained therapist mm-hmm. and may not have the tools or even the will or desire to like engage with your trauma. Right. Um, and now, and that's, this gets really important because there's this concept of, uh, we, it's called bleed in the game. Bleed. Yeah. Where if you're like, let's say you're in a tense situation um, and you know, your character gets beat up or whatever, and you, you, you know, you're really embodying the character and you're mad at the character. So the bleed is then when you take shit that's in the game and you bring it into the real world. And let's say like, I'm upset that the bad guy beat up my character and then you know, out of the game, I take it out on the DM, Mm. you know, that's not, you know, we're playing a game. We all agree there's going to be challenges, you know what I mean? But at the same time, that can get tricky when people start dealing with actual real world trauma. Now there's nothing wrong with exploration that is fully encouraged, but it's like, you know, don't make these five random people suddenly, Oh, we are, everyone can sort of sense when you hit a, Oh, this isn't a, this isn't a game anymore. Right. You know, we've hit some actual real stuff. And like, you know, 
who hasn't been at a, a friend's house watching movies with a bunch of people and then something just hits someone the wrong way and it's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have watched this movie. It's true. You know, it's yeah. the same sort of feeling of everyone's super uncomfortable because like, oh, we didn't know we were going to engage with this sort of material for lack of a better world. And, um, but that being said, I actually do find the construction of characters extremely therapeutic. Um, the, the sort of like research side of it. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of uh, even as kids or, and I witnessed my kids playing can quickly become into, this is not playing anymore. Yeah, it definitely happened. And I've had many times in game sessions where that happens. And I mean, who, and you know, we have seen that also on set where for, you know, an actor or actress is doing a really tense emotional scene and they're just a little more testy. Like, I'm not saying they become a monster or an asshole, but yeah. like, obviously actors, well, hopefully have a better sense of what they're doing. You know, it's their yeah. career. It's a, their actual craft, their trade. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you're just an accountant and you like attacking wizards and dragons, you know what I mean? Like you might not under, you might not notice when it happens. Mm -hmm. You have to have a certain, level of trust at the table and there's a certain inherent community you know and also like not every game is meant to be played with everyone okay so so let me let me give an example yeah, um, there's this game i really really like and i really want to play it's called monster hearts and it's all about being monsters in a high school and being teenagers okay and great let's go angst, for it yeah, and all the and it's about the angst. It is literally about the sexual tension. There's mechanics for that. Mm. Now, that being said, that is a game that is meant to be very raw and very emotional and like, you know, ping-pongy in the way that teenagers are. And it's mm -hmm. designed that way. And it's designed for you to play it that way. But also, that is a <laughs> emotional raw space. Yes. Um so I, while I want to play that game really badly, I only want to play that game with people I really know and trust. That's a great thought. You really care about yourself and the other people that you're with. Do you feel, when, when did that game come out? When was that created? Um, let me look. I have a copy. I have the PDF. Let me check. I have Monster Hearts 2, which is the second version. Mm -hmm. So let's see when the first one came out. Uh, first edition came out in 2012, second edition 2017. 2012 and 2017. Okay, because I'm just trying to think of the world that we're in, I guess, at large. 20, mm. 2012, 2017, two different energies around. And I've never, and I've never seen the first edition of the game, yeah, so I can't really edition. comment on how that it like, changes. But Yeah, there had to have been a reason or an understanding of let's go to that place. Let's mm -hmm. go to where we as, uh, as a person are kind of like, not, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's formed or shaped in some ways formed and shaped, where I guess we're kind of beaten into shape in some ways and back in the junior high, um, or we're fighting the system. There's a lot of, I guess you said angst. Mm -hmm. And that's where I feel that the end of elementary school, junior high, for me, junior high was two years, seventh and eighth, and just like everyone from everywhere just came in. It's a very hard time, I think, for a child, especially for a child in that time when they're trying to work out their place, they're trying to, they're dealing with angst, their friends have gone, they're going through puberty, 
um, there's a bully in school, all this, and they also have to go to school and they also have to take the classes and they have to get good grades and, and be prepared for the bigger world, which is, which is high school. So now you have this game, what's it called, Monster Hearts? Monster Hearts. It's a funny title to call it Monster Hearts because we're, we're all little monsters, I guess, at that time. Do you feel that you think it's a fear or you, you want to have the trust circle around you before you go in because you wanna, you're not going to trust yourself or you're not going to trust other people when you get there? Um, yeah, so like the trust, well, the trust is because Monster Hearts is, um, let, me, let me back up a little bit because there's a couple of things going on. So um, when you're talking about RPGs, pen and paper, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that sort of thing, uh, there's this thing we call sort of shorthand, the crunch of a game. And the crunch means how much mechanics are there. You know, how much is it you have to roll a dice, look up a table, see your result. Um, versus how much of it is like narrative and sort of just free play where you just say things happen. Like, for example, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, you don't need to roll to see if you can buy an ale at the tavern. You just pay the money, you do it. Um, Monster Hearts is way more of the second variety of a narrative game where one of the main, you know, if you, when you read the book, it says to do something, you do it. And what they mean by that is if you want to say, I'm going to punch Joe in the face, you saying my character punches Joe in the face, you attempt to punch Joe in the face. Now, depending on the game that there might be rules for that. There may not be. Mm. Um, and also because it's a more of a narrative game, there are ways for you to make other characters do things. It has this resource it called strings, mm -hmm. which is basically your connections, your strings between people and your relationships. Um, you know, some of the classes in Monster Hearts have built in significant others and you have to pick another player to be that significant other and rules and mechanics can happen. For example, the werewolf in the game is actually very much the archetypical overly protective jock uh, mm -hmm. boyfriend. You know, literally it's meant to be a masculine sort of character. And um, also a part of Monster Hearts is your characters will have sex. That is a part of the game. Interesting. Um, like, and that's also a part of why I want to be with people I trust. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so back to the werewolf, there's a mechanic. Every, every class has essentially their sex move. And that's what happens when your character has sex. And the werewolf, if your partner has sex with someone else, you know, huh. just immediately, because it's supernatural. Right. So it is this like really like, and I, I, I see your face as I'm describing this. You're now hearing why way yeah. more of the, I need to have people who I trust, who I know understand yeah. me, yeah. because you are going to do things and you don't have as much control over your character because other characters can control you. And I like that because you know, we all look back in high school and we're like, why the fuck did I do that stupid thing? Oh, yeah. it's just because Bobby told me to. Right. You right. know, and it's, and it's trying to simulate that where you're not thinking 100% clearly because you're a teenager and your hormones are going crazy. Oh, and this game, let's make you monster. So you have to deal with that too. Correct. Right. Make it a little bit hyper real yeah. and not too realistic. You know what I mean? It gives you that distance where you can engage with that material in a meaningful way but not, not, it's not so far that it's like, has nothing to do with it, but it's not too close in a way that might be like way too hard. Now, this game, I think is a way more on the close scale. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Then something like Dungeons and Dragons, like, you know, it's, there's not too many emotional fights about should we fight the dragon, right. you know, versus in yeah. this game, it's all about people and you're just in high school. It's an interesting thing. First of all, I, I can't not get the, uh, the movie Teen Wolf out of my head right now. Oh, totally. It's totally a- aping that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, literally, there's a, right. there's a chosen class if you want to play a Buffy sort of character. Mm-hmm. You totally can. It's an interesting thing because, like you said, in high school, we go back and we say, well, what, you know, how come I did that or I should have done that? And still to this day, our brain works in funny ways. There are moments when, and then uh, just a scene pops into my head about something that happened to me in high school. And, I, and my mind goes down that rabbit hole for a little bit of the why and who and the what and what if and blah, blah, blah. To go back, you're kind of reliving in a way. Mm-hmm. It but, is. Totally. But, right, it's, it's not real. It's not too real that you're actually our people because that would be... A, That's just actually therapy. <laughs> that is actual therapy. Right, right. That's right. But you're, you're close enough. So now you're... What are the characters? Werewolves? Uh, let me look. No, who would you like to be if, if you would do this game? One of the hallmarks of being an RPG fan is making characters for games that never end up happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually did make um, a character for this once. So what do we got? We have the Fae, the Ghost, the Ghoul, the Hollow, the Infernal, the Mortal, the Queen, the Vampire, the Werewolf, and the Witch. Okay, so that's about 10. And there's other ones. Um, there there's like other expansion supplemental ones, one-offs. Mm-hmm. Those are just the ones in the main book. And I was going to play the, uh, the queen, um, oh. which the queen is weird. The queen is basically, um, is meant to be sort of the, you know, the mean girl, the queen bee social, like, you know, thing. But because it's a supernatural game, what I had made <laughs> was the captain of the cheerleading squad. She was the only girl in the otherwise fully male cheerleading squad. And they were all a hive mind that she controlled she was literally like a queen insect controlling all these buff cheerleader guys running around that was the concept for my character that's interesting you know and again like there's werewolves running around so like it's not that weird yeah well it's not that weird because it's all fantasy it's all Mm -hmm. exactly is trying to think of how to phrase this question um i know okay let me say i know for me if i was to play this game i would probably want to go into every character mm-hmm. so that I could try to understand more so, like you said earlier, their character. I, I would try to understand their path, why they're doing things. So I could somehow, for me, thinking back on the people I knew in high school, try to understand them better in some mm-hmm. alternate reality. So by, by looking, it, it's, for me to say this, it sound, doesn't sound natural to me because it doesn't sound quote unquote normal to me because um, I've never thought about that before. You say, try to live my life in my shoes kind of thing mm-hmm. and go down that route. So, but your first jump would be to the queen. Is that a power thing? Yeah. So like for me and, you know, it's funny, me in high school, I, I was in a very weird spot. So I actually went to uh, a middle and high school in the same building, same school. Um, that was a performing arts school, the whole six through 12, uh, six through eight was the middle school. And then nine through 12 was the high school. Um, and you had to, if you were in the middle school, you had to reapply to get into the high school. Hmm. Like it wasn't just an automatic. Um, and the high school was a way harder to get into. Like it was a choice. You had to audition. You had to submit a portfolio to get into it. It was a public school, but it was like a, you know, an art middle and high school. 
which is great. I'm so glad I went to that. You're but, a performer. Uh, you wanted to perform. You wanted to act. I, well, I started wanting to act, and then I went into um, stage tech, specifically sound engineering. I actually, while I was in high school, I did a, I was a roadie for a couple of cover bands. Um, I was also interested in film, and I started doing some cinematography class. Um, and, you know, when it came to college, I had to decide whether which way to go, and I decided film. And that worked out. But I was not a super social person in high school, but I had this weird thing of, you know, all the super social people were all the leads in the plays and stuff, which, you know, we were performing arts high school. It was obviously they were, but I was the most knowledgeable stagecraft person there. So there was this weird thing of like, I was not popular, Mm -hmm. but the popular kids respected and liked me. So it was this weird thing. And, you know, I've always been curious what it would be like to be, cause I'm not a social butterfly. You know, I'm not that like, I'm a very, until we start talking, I'm a very shy person. And then once I start talking, I can't shut up. <laughs> um, but until that initial ice is broken, I'm not going to talk to you. It's mm-hmm. just how I am. Um, so like playing a character who is just so inherently social is an interesting thing for me because I just wasn't so like this is an example of more I am playing against what I usually would do you know what I mean like so you know it's like oh do I just want to play what I want or do I want to try to stretch myself you know Mm -hmm. do I want to like in the same way that actors look at it's not actually any different frankly it's just like I don't get paid for it and I just do it for fun as a hobby basically do you think that being in the worlds that you go into um, cause this is all, this is all new to me. This is all mm-hmm. abstract to me, I yeah. guess you could say not normal to me. Do you think when you go into these worlds that you're performing or that, that you're just, you're who you are, but in, as a character, there's, there's, I guess there's different elements. Am I performing? Am I looking for something? Am I trying to discover something about myself? Am I just playing this other character and let's just have fun with this character? I guess there's different levels. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a lot of different levels. I mean, and it's also, you know, you get... Um, performance is such a complicated and loaded term. Right. Um, and, and I don't think that... And I don't mean that as in loaded is bad. I just mean that it is. it has so many different meanings depending, you know, performance in terms of at the job versus performance... Um, you know, like you were talking in a role-playing game or like, you know, me being trans, my gender performance is this whole, that's a whole other thing. You know what I mean? Just like me living day to day. Right. Um, so I think on, in a basic level, yes, it is performance. Um, but it is also, I, I very much use it as entertainment and exploration. Mm. That's more my intent going in than putting on a performance and some people really do like putting on the performance. Like, you know, you can always spot the role player who's actually an actor, you know what I mean? Okay. Cause they like really get into the performance and the character voices and mannerisms and stuff, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, versus other people, you know, are not that charismatic and they don't. And they're really more interested in the mechanics of the game itself. And like the actual, you know, especially when you talk about Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the actual combat, because Dungeons and Dragons was actually originally based off of a, a war game originally. Oh. Um, so it has, a, you know, that's why Dungeons and Dragons is a very combat focused game. Mm-hmm. You know, so I and I want that's one of the reasons I like that game. I like the tactics. I like the where am I going to put my fireball? You know right. what I mean? 
that sort of stuff. You brought up an interesting uh, concept, which visually I, I've seen, but if you don't mind, it'd be interesting to talk about. You brought up gender performance. Mm -hmm. Now, I know when um, you're out, you're having fun, you're in your comfort zone, you're wearing the clothes you want to wear. It's not at work. It's not you're going to you know, uh, the supermarket, whatever it is, not your everyday life. Um, this is, you're going to have fun. You're going to a party. Let's, you know, let's shake it out and, and have fun. Is that, and I, and I sound, I may sound very, I don't know. I don't know if I want to use the word ignorant, but I'm curious. I'm interested. Gender performance. Mm -hmm. Could you describe for me and the people who are listening, what, how gender performance is different to, we're just partying and having fun and wearing what we want to wear. That's not our part of quote unquote normal lives. I, I can, okay. I can give you a really good example actually um, and bring it back to high school. So um, this is the thing my high school did. I've heard other high schools have done this. I've heard other high schools have not done this, but for homecoming, uh, you know, you have all your homecoming week activities and whatnot. And one of the things that my school did uh, was we would have what we called a powdered puff game where we would have, um, and this is actually really funny because my high school being a performing arts high school, we didn't have a football team, which makes this even funnier. Uh, <laughs> we did have um, a charter school about math and science in the, on the top floor of our building and they had sports teams and we were allowed to be in their sports teams and they were allowed to perform in our plays and stuff. It was yeah. sort of like a trade deal. So I actually was on their varsity wrestling team, but, our school officially did not have its own team. Okay. So, you know, powder puff is basically the girls are playing football and the guys are cheerleaders. Okay. Um, so like that would be an example of something that is like, it's meant to be fun. Yeah. It's just silly. Like, and I don't even think it's a th like, none of us took it as the joke is that the boys are in dresses. How funny is that? It's more just, we're all being like, and we did a stupid, really intentionally bad cheerleading routine. Like, you know, and we all coordinated our, made sure we had the same skirts and the same hoodies and the same hats. Cause you know, in Delaware in October, it's fucking cold. <laughs> so, you know, and like made sure we had a same matching shirts and then like all the girls would put on these like crazy, like battle war paint, you know, it was a very just fun thing. Yeah. Now that is like, you could argue that some of that is gender performance, but it's not meant to be that way. You know what I mean? It's meant to be just fun, a fundraiser for the school, have everyone have a good time, you know, versus, you know, I feel uncomfortable when my facial hair gets too long, you know what I right. mean? Or I feel uncomfortable when someone serves me. Serves you. He, you know, because my pronouns are they, them. I like, I don't like being called a man. I don't like, you know, all these sort of things. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts to get different. Um, the performance aspect actually has way less to do with the individual at least at least this is my opinion more with how the individual is perceived mm -hmm. um so for example mm -hmm. trans women are women so even when they were presenting male or um playing male before they realized that they were women you know, that is male. They were putting on a male performance, even though they have been women their whole lives, they just didn't know it for, you know, whatever reason, um, whether it's repression or just like not open to the idea or never even having the idea exposed to them as a concept. Um, and their feeling it, 
how they feel is not matching their external, but it doesn't change the fact of how they feel internal. Right. You know what I mean? And that's where like, that's why I was saying like, performance becomes this so loaded and complicated word. Yeah. Because like, um, you know, like I worked on Pose and, you know, Billy Porter, you know, Billy Porter is a man who looks amazing in a wig, makeup and a full gown. Right. He is not less of a man because he's wearing any of those things. But those are signifiers of a feminine gender, you know, and that's where these things start to get tricky because you don't want to, and I say this for myself as a non-binary person, that's where it gets tricky because I don't want to ever say a man can't wear a skirt, a man can't wear a lipstick. I don't feel that way at all. But how do I then differentiate myself? You know what I mean? Mm. And like, I can just speak from experience, you know, even some of my closest, not closest friends, but like friends, I'm pretty well, you know, social circle, you know what I mean? Not like close friends, but social circle. If I don't wear my lipstick or makeup, they might slip up on my pronouns. Now, do they think I'm a man suddenly? No, I don't think they think that at all. And we all have these sort of subconscious things going on in the same way that like, when you look at someone you don't know, you don't actively try to think, are they a man or a woman? You just look at them and go, that's a man, that's a woman. You, know, you don't even right. consciously think about it. Your body, your brain just categorizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's happening, you know? And that's where this stuff gets, starts to get really tricky. And also like, you know, there have been times where I'm like, I don't want to put on makeup, but I also don't want to get misgendered. So I will put on makeup because that's, you know what but I mean? them, not for you. Right. Because I don't like when I wake up in the morning or I get out of the shower, I'm just as non-binary as I am if I wear a full dress and a full face of makeup and walking down Fifth Avenue for Pride March. You know what I mean? Like I am the same person, but visually, you know, that's where it gets really complicated. Mm A couple of things. One is I on on set on TV shows, movies, sometimes, um, production and the people in the crew want to have like a sub levity and have a little bit of fun and they make you know fridays lipstick fridays so so yeah, that's so, when yeah okay go ahead so yeah no so here's the funny thing about that i started i started that on dangerous book for boys mm-hmm. i cannot tell you for the life of me why i i cannot remember why i started that i and and i think even if you asked me to that you know in that moment why I did that, I, I would say it was levity. But, you know, look at where I am now. That's clearly not the case. <laughs> that was clearly me going, no, this is just fun, guys. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun, right? This is, I'm doing this for fun, right? You know, you know, um, but, you know, now I basically every day, I, you know, peep, I have met people who know of me mm-hmm. because I'm the AC who wears skirts and lipstick mm-hmm. who don't know my name. Oh. You know, I have been on set many times where they're like, oh, you're the AC. Oh, I, I'm my, glad to finally meet you. I've seen photos of you. You're awesome. You know, like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that's happened to very big because I, you know, as a. No, totally, member, totally. I, don't, I can know the person as the, as the part they play on, on the job, as this is their role. This is their job. I don't know. No, to- totally. Yeah. But just to be like, oh, I didn't, even, I know there's an AC who looks masculine and wears lipstick and kilts right. to work. You know what I mean? Like, no clue what they fucking look like. I just know they exist in New York somewhere. You know, that's sort of like, it, it, I feel like almost like an, a little urban legend at that point. 
<laughs> and to be honest, when we were on that job and I knew about Lipstick Fridays, I didn't know that you started it, but I turned around and I'm like, oh, this person's wearing lipstick. You know, to me, this guy is wearing lipstick. Yeah, well, I hadn't cool. transitioned at that point either. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. You know, wear lipstick. Maybe I'll wear a lipstick. I, you know, it's, it's fun. I didn't, but and I, I think you were wearing purple. And for some reason, I remember that. But, um, and I thought, oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't think anything more or less or what or why. I just thought it's fun. Yeah, because, and that's what it should be, you know. It Um, should be. You know, for me, it turned out, oh, it was the beginning of my gender exploration, yada, yada. But it also didn't have to be that. Wow. At the time, neither did I. That was in 2017, summer Mm -hmm. of 2017. Yeah, I didn't didn't publicly transition until January 2019. Mm. Um, That's when I first realized it. um, And then you know, slowly started coming out to close friends, all of that sort of stuff, you know, as now year and a half into it. So if you don't mind, can we go down that avenue a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, if, any, if anything comes up I don't want to talk about, it, I have no problem saying that. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I, I have very good boundaries. Okay, very good. Um, so putting on lipstick on, the, on that job, and now you said that was like your your beginning your your steps on that on that journey of of transition was that a long transition of questioning why and how should I do it or just like you're kind of putting your toe in the water and then two years later you went full blown or just like I'm gonna I'm gonna I need to work this out myself yeah so, so it was it was not intentional it was very. Um... Like I, I was not aware of it and I was not aware of what I was doing for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was just getting more comfortable with sort of how I wanted to present, mm-hmm. um, embracing my queerness um, and all of that sort of stuff, you know, and I've always been a gender bent sort of person. I mean, you know, I was, I love doing the powder puff game. I wonder why now, but <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. I was very into that. And I remember in high school, there was a whole thing of like how short the skirts were. And, you know, the book said, you know, it had to be fingertip length. And there was plenty of girls who were getting home, sent home where their skirts were past fingertip length. Right. Um, so I said, okay, let's put this rule to the fucking test. So I fucking wore a skirt to school that was a hundred percent, like four inches past my fingertips. <laughs> and they were like, Brent, can you put something else on? I was like, why make right. me? Right. And boom, they stopped sending girls home because it was nice. like, show me the fucking rule, you know? Right. Nice. But it took somebody to fucking stand up to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's one of these things where hindsight's twenty twenty, and so many oh, yeah. things in my life I couldn't understand. Or I just like, I couldn't understand, but just didn't know what the reason was. So for example, I've always had an affinity and always gotten along very well with trans people and drag queens. And specifically like, I go to drag shows and we're like fucking magnets, you know, drag, like drag queens. I remember I was at a drag show um, with my girlfriend, now wife. And there, there was a, I, we were sitting up in the front row. I think we were going out for my birthday. It wasn't my birthday, but like, you know, that week or whatever. And this drag queen was like, where's all my lesbians in the house? You know, everyone goes, where's my gay guys in the house? Where's my straights in the house? And I don't say anything. I'm bisexual. And the drag queen comes up to me. Is like, honey, I didn't hear you say anything. What's, are you deaf? What's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm bisexual. And she goes, oh shit, I've heard of unicorns, but I've never met one. <laughs> she was just like on me the rest of the night. Now, I was just like, I guess 
drag queens like me in the same way that some people are like birds like me. You know what I mean? Like just is. And now I'm like, oh, they were seeing, you know, there's a, there's a term in the queer community um, called baby queer, Mm -hmm. which is when you can see that someone's queer, but they don't know it yet. Interesting. It's, it's a thing. It's totally a thing. And it like nine times out of 10 is right. And I think that's what was happening. Mm. They were seeing the gender nonconforming in me, even though I couldn't see it. Mm. You know, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like, oh, you're dressing nonconforming. Like that's, it's, it's, it's almost a um, gaydar sort of, it, you know, it's actually I was thinking that, but, gaydar, but right. more on a gender basis than a sexuality basis. Well, it's deeper. It's deeper than that. Yeah, it is a lot deeper. At least I feel. Yeah. Um, I didn't know you were married. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great. It's similar to saying, I can see that you're talented in this way. You don't see it yourself yet, but you're going to yeah. find it in you. And exactly. I can see it. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Other people can see you're, you're stuck in the forest. You know, mm-hmm. other people are outside the forest are looking in and you say, just come out of the forest. I could see you can come out of it, but you're, you're still too deep into it. Well, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a second point to that, I mm-hmm. think, um, because it's there's sort of two things like you're right and let's use the forest metaphor because that actually works really well okay so let and let's say that people who have already transitioned or already are self-aware of whatever their gender non-conforming or variance from cisness is you know they're on the outside of the forest Mm -hmm. they can't go back into the forest you know they've already left you know Mm -hmm. they can't go back but they can't see you unless you start making steps Right. Um, and that is, that was very much my experience. Now, obviously like, you know, I just thought we were friends and maybe they just thought we, they were friendly to me too. I'm not saying they were like, Oh, that's a baby trans right there. You know, until a trans woman did that. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she sat me down and was like, Hey, um, I've talked to some other people who know you. I've been noticing this for a while. And that was sort of the moment that actually had me like, oh, let's actually sit with this. Let's actually question this. Um, And that happened when I was uh, 29. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I, I can only speak for myself, but you know, for me often, when someone tries to tell me something about myself that isn't true, Mm -hmm. I immediately, I'm like, that's just not true. You know, I have that gut like, no, you're wrong. Right. And when this trans woman was talking to me, I had none of that. Oh. And the next day, because it was at a party, you know, so I was like, oh, maybe I'm just drunk or whatever, you know. The next day, I had no, like, either pushback in the morning, you know, and I, that was when I was like, wait a minute, something's going on here. Yeah. You know, like, this person is saying they think I might be trans, and I am not going, no, I'm not. I'm 29. I'm pretty self-aware. I've lived a hell of a life. I've gone through some shit. Yeah. And someone is telling me something that is, like you said, super deep and fundamental, and I am not going, no, you're wrong. That was sort of the realization. I was like, something's here. And it's still a process. I'm still working through it. You know, it's yeah. not, the journey is, trust me, not over by any stretch. So when, when did that happen? When did that meeting happen? When did that realize it? That was in 2019? Uh, no, that would have been 2018. So between wearing lipstick and, f- and fully coming out to your friends in 2019, that was right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. So it's only been not even two years. Yeah. Do you feel that, I have a couple of questions, so mm-hmm. I'm trying to put them all together. How long have you been married? 
Uh, I have been married for, um, I got married in uh, December 2018. That's awesome. Awesome. 2018. So that, that's the end of 2018. So that's kind of around that soon after, around the time mm-hmm. of the meeting. Yep. Yeah. The penultimate meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and may I ask, was that part of the, did you come, did you talk to her? Um, yes, I, I did. I, I, I'm not going to get into the exact timeline. Yeah, uh, but but yes, uh, no. The I the first person I talked to after that conversation with the trans woman was my wife, and I was like, "Hey, uh, this is a thing. This is happening." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she was fully supportive. And of course, awesome. I mean, you're, you're married, and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, did you feel after that conversation the next morning you said you're not fighting it? Did you feel like there was a weight lifted? Do you feel there's an energy around you about there that? There was an energy about it. I wouldn't say a weight lifted. Yeah. Um, not at that point for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say sort of, a like taking the wool off of my eyes of like seeing what the possibilities were. Oh, you know what I mean? Like okay. instead of go like, actually, you know what a good example would be taking the blinders off a horse, mm-hmm. you know, that like, I thought it was just this one thing and it's just, there's so many other options. Right. You know, right. and I, and I, and I, I want to be clear when I say options, I'm not saying I'm deciding I'm, I'm figuring out who I am. Yeah. But options in, in terms of the breadth of possibilities is what I mean. You know what I mean? Not like I am in, I, I want to be very clear. There is no way I'm saying I chose to be trans, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would say maybe then any understanding or epiphany about anyone's self, because I've, I've had epiphanies, but any, any level of epiphany or breakthrough, I guess you could say it, as soon as that, that, wall is broken down or the opening of course there's more possibilities yeah exactly that comfort lends to to all that do you feel growing up when you were getting into the rpg and the alternate reality i guess of gaming Mm -hmm. because you are living in alternate reality yeah totally do you feel that that was um you went there first you feel like that was a connection between i gotta bring up again the identity discovery um, I definitely think it was attached to identity, but I don't actually think it was attached to gender. No, not gender. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But identity for sure. I, I, I was, you know, when I got interested in D and D, I was a chubby little kid, you know, who wanted to fight dragons. And then, you know, I then started wrestling and you sort of was in a way. And then I, I did get in shape and I ended up becoming a very strong person and I still wanted to fight dragons. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, did you ever feel like there was like something like there's something about me? I can't put my finger on it. And like your your friend said, your baby trans, right? Mm. That they could see it, but you can't. So, did you ever feel like there's there's something about? I mean, I I always I even as a kid, um, and I even apply this actually to like my creative projects. Yeah, I always feel I'm I in terms of like my creative projects and in terms of art. I always like to say my art is too highbrow for blue collar and too blue collar for highbrow. Yeah. I have a foot in each world sort of. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. sort of how I've always felt of like, I'm in one world, but I'm like not fully in it yeah. or not fully accepted or whatever. And I, you know, that could be for any number of fucking reasons. I'm not, yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, I have always sort of felt like that. What kind of art do you do? I want to direct films. I write screenplays and honestly, you know, in a certain way, um, 
DMing games can kind of be like being a showrunner. DMing um, is is dungeon master, sort of being in charge of the game. D- dungeon master, game master, storyteller, whatever you want to call it. Different systems call it different things. The person running the art, the role playing game, mm-hmm. um, the one playing all the NPCs, you know that sort of stuff. Because your players essentially are other writers on right. the story. Okay, yeah. you know you have control over a lot of it, but if Tom wants to jump out the window or throw down the acid flask, if he says he's doing it, you can't stop him. You know what I mean? So there is this inherent collaboration with it, which I have found has been super helpful even on set in film because film is such a collaborative thing. You know, you have all these different departments who have to, each department has to interwork together and then each department has to work with the other departments. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so it's it lends itself to that way pretty well. I don't think many people realize this, or maybe they do now because of COVID, because there's no industry right now, that there's so many people that come together and so many personalities and so many people dealing with their own shit and so many uh, clashes of personalities and you have to be rubbing shoulders with them. At the same time, you're trying to do the best job and people are taking it very seriously and um, and then you have egos at play and, and it's a very, it's a cesspool of emotion and stress. And I don't know if the cesspool is the right word. <laughs> I was going to say, are we talking about film sets or RPG games? Right. Because uh, uh, any of, all of those things are true for both. Yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's only, it's only, like you said, like a unicorn to be on like such an amazing, positive, um, comforting supportive set yeah you know? and uh they're far and few between if you don't mind can i go back to the moment when you're talking to your friend mm-hmm. in 2018 the next day mm-hmm. yeah so you have this conversation that one night and she says that she sees you because you you're in the forest and you moved yeah in the forest is an interesting thing that you said because because you moved because you're taking steps they saw you do you know that you're taking steps in the forest or is it subconsciously taking steps? I, I knew I was taking steps on a, but I thought I was on a different trail. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I thought I was just getting more comfortable, you know, like, cause when I started wearing lipstick and like, even before I transitioned, I bought myself a, a kilt cause I literally just wanted to wear a kilt. Like right. I just wanted a kilt. So I bought one, yeah. uh, you know, now that you know the kilt was two things it was me getting in touch with my scottish heritage Mm -hmm. it was also a kilt that has the bisexual flag colors on it so it was getting in touch with my sexuality it was also the first time i ever felt like wearing something that was effectively a skirt not as a costume not as like a funny thing you know what i mean and i and i don't mean that like a man in a dress is inherently funny but you understand what i mean yes you know, like just as a costume in the same way when I go as a werewolf on Halloween, I don't think I'm actually a werewolf. You know what I mean? It's not a societal norm in America. Like, I've been to rugby matches and I, and, I, and I worked on, you know, did some sound for, for, for rugby where they wear kilts. Yeah. And they wear actually what's called utility kilts where there's mm-hmm. kilts everywhere. It's just not a normal thing in America. Yeah. You know, I thought I was just getting more comfortable with myself and like, oh, yes, I'm masculine, but I do have these feminine sides to me, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just, like I said, I was taking steps. I just thought I was on a different trail. Yeah. So the next morning you wake up and 
I guess your fiance was next to you or your girlfriend's mm -hmm. next to you. Do you remember being in that mindset? Like, do you ever go back to that mindset where you were like waking up and thinking what just happened last night? I don't actually. Cause, cause that was the thing about it. I was so calm with it. You're calm. That, that was the thing. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I am an, I have an anxiety disorder. I now take medication for it. And at the time I didn't, you know, and so moments of clarity and calmness were like, they were noticeable, you know what I mean? And again, so this was noticeable. It was noticeable. Um, and the like sitting with it, there's a difference between thinking what's going on in the world and actually thinking about what's going on in the world. You know right. what I mean? And like when I started actually like digging into it and really engaging with what um, she had said and also the questions that I had asked, like really engaging with those, I still felt calm. There was no, no, there was anxiousness, but like of, I wonder what I'm going to learn. Not, right. Uh, anxiousness of fear. Now, unfortunately, that has not been the whole case for my journey. There's been so much goddamn fear in it, but that initial moment, there wasn't. That's an interesting point you bring up because fear is a basis for a lot of our thoughts and mm -hmm. actions. So fear wasn't the first thing. You've had other, you've had other fears based on that, but the fear wasn't the first thing. Yeah. Growing up, did you feel that? Because I talk about part of the basis of this of my podcast, what's normal. Mm -hmm. with gabriel sanders i'll say a little thing um, <laughs> um it's not a question right you know people ask it's, well, a discussion. What it's a discussion right people ask me why is there not a question mark how did normal the word normal and um any derivation of i think it's different what's that word Div derivation thank uh, you very much derivation derivative 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 of affect you how you lived, did things, and then that, that pushed you on the journey to find yourself in the woods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Um, that was a long-winded question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, like, and like I said before, you know, that sort of, I always feel like I have, I'm too X for Y and too Y for X. Um, I've always felt like that, you know. Right. Uh, I, I go into, you know, my ex experimental video class, and I'm like, this shit's its heads up its own ass. And then I go watch a movie and I'm like, this fucking drivel. What the fuck? Can we actually deal with some issues? Right. You know what I mean? Like, um, I've always sort of felt like on the margins. And, and, and by on the margins, I want to mean not in terms of like, I think, so there's this term, and this is, this is actually like super hotly debated right now amongst trans folks. Um, and I tend towards the we were socialized trans argument, but basically there's an argument of, okay, if you are trans, you were assigned a gender at birth and you probably performed that gender for some part of your life, depending on how long that all depends. For some people, till they're 50, some people, 12, some people, six. It doesn't like it runs the gamut. Right. But the, the time before you realize that you were not cis, some people say, well, if everyone thought you were a man and you were treated as such, then you were socialized as a man. Right. If you thought you were a woman, you know, if everyone said you were a woman, you were socialized as a woman. And I don't think that's fair um, because I think there is something inherently different to being cis than being trans. And even if you are performing maleness, even if you're not a man or if you're performing womanhood and you're not a woman, um, that, you know, the human brain is one of the most powerful pattern recognition things that 
and like we can't make more powerful ones we're trying to make it with computers and we they can't do it the way we can i truly believe that everyone picks up on things and people self you know people find their communities and build you know all of that stuff they find their tribe mm-hmm. and gender is such a marker and determines so much about the world how could that not be a something we pick up on even if it's not like you know even if it was just oh that's a man but they like wearing lips you know billy porter that's a man you know i'm sure he was made fun of like i was you know i remember getting called slurs you know growing up you know gay slurs and stuff um i'm sure that happened you know I don't know a queer person that didn't happen to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whether they knew, you know, before, and it all almost always happened to them before they knew, even they knew they were gay. So how does a cis straight man know I'm gay before I am using like calling me using the, you know, the F slur. Mm-hmm. Um, how would they know that I'm gay before I do? You know what I mean? Right. And I, and I think this is this sort of pattern recognition and it's not, I think it comes down to we are socialized to go the other is gay, but I think there is some aspect that there's the mainstream society, and if you don't fit into that box, then you are an other, and you know the other can be whatever it is depending on the culture. I think in America has tended towards uh, sexuality in a lot of ways, you know, I, and I'm talking purely in high school, you know, um, I'm not getting into anything else. I'm only talking about gender here, but people can un- pick up on things even if they don't have a concept for it, you know? Right. It, it's interesting that you said that being called slurs or the F word, other people are just mean, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that they know something that you don't. They're just saying that to, to get a rise out of you. Now, we're being called these words. At the same time, we're trying to figure out who we are. So now we're getting this other input you're this and you're this and you're this. And, you, and I know I went through like, what, is that true? Do I, do they know something I don't? And then, then there's a lot of like, there comes the questioning and there comes the doubt and the guilt and the shame. Well, there, there's also, you know, it's how is that presented? There's a big difference between, you know, I go into a gay bar and someone goes, hey, there's my gays. Right. Versus someone goes, you know, there's the fucking gays. Right. And so when someone might call you the F slur, they're not saying it in a positive way. So even if you're not, even if you're not gay and you know, you get called gay, you know, as a put down, but if you're, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm not gay. So you move on. But if you are, then you get in, that is like told to you by society. That's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not explicit. Even, you know, I, went to an arts high school and middle school. I couldn't have been around more queer people if I tried, unless I lived in a city. You know, I grew up in suburban Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get a gay bar, I think, in, in this Wilmington until 2010 or something. Wow. I still haven't been. Uh, <laughs> I keep meaning to, and then I just never have time, and now COVID, so God knows what I'm going to yeah, yeah. So there's that also happening, too, where the, you know, I'm sure everyone has been called gay in a bad way before. Like, that's just... Yeah. It, you know, when we were growing up, that was what it, you know, gay was stupid, you know, and I, and I, I said it too, you know, I'm not going to say I didn't, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the cultures, when you're using it that way, and then you're like realizing that, oh, maybe I am this. And then years of that being a bad thing, you know, right. that's what people are talking about when we're talking about the microaggressions, 
You know, it's not about the one time. It's about the years of build up and build up of constantly being told this thing that you are is bad or because you are this way, negative things happen, you know? Right. Which is completely different from being in a, in a safe environment. And someone says, like when you met your, your friend at the party, they came up to you in a supportive way. Right. It feels to me, if I was in a situation like that, that when someone, if someone who's supportive or even a stranger who's supportive, it's like, if someone is dealing with something that's, that's boiling up inside and someone says, I'm here for you, and then takes the and releases you know, the teapot and finally the steam comes out. Mm-hmm. For me, I would be, I would just break down. And, I, and, I've, and I've, other times I can't place my finger on it, but there have been other times when I've been there. And there must be such a, and I know you're still going through because it it's, it's still new. Yeah, but, it's, still, it's still a process. Still new. It's still a it's still process, but... They're just the instant, just that moment of, oh, that, that's, you, you helped me. Um, do you still keep in touch with this person because they were such a, a big part? Um, I haven't. Um, uh, they, were, they were on a job I was on. Um, they uh, travel a lot, so I just haven't seen them much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's just I don't want to give out details for this person, that's all. Yeah, yeah, of course. I was going to ask if you played any music. Um, I played cello actually for 12 years, but I, or not 12 years, about 10 years, purely, purely as I just like it. I, and I still listen to cello music. I think cello sounds like musical sex to me, like cello quartets or cello solo artist. Actually, um, Zoe, Zoe Keaton, you should look her up. Yeah. She's amazing. She is a solo artist, just her, but she only performs with the cello, but she has pedals to do loops and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, so so when you listen to even if you hear her live, you'll hear multiple cellos, but it's all her. Wow! Like, and she's doing it as I mean, I'm not that musically savvy, but as far my understanding is through the use of the pedals, it's basically live. It's not like you know, his play. At least that's my understanding. That's awesome, Zoe Keaton cello. I'm going to listen. Let me check that out. Um, Brent, thank you. I want to just thank you for so much. Like working with someone, you you don't really get to talk to them. You maybe you'll yeah. sit down with them for lunch. Yeah, you know, um, you don't get to, especially if they're not in your department. Yeah. Um, and also, like, when, when can I talk to a sound person? They need to be listening to shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, what is normal? What does the word normal mean to you? You could take your time, right? Yeah. I mean, personally, I mean, normal to me is just shorthand for sort of status quo. Oh. Um, but, like, if you want to dig deeper, I don't really believe in a normal because like this this is like a big reason i like really like please people i mean like obviously you can't now but pre-covid travel get outside of this country if you can right. see how some other people live or and you know even the united states while i do think more americans need to leave the country just to see another country for a minute the united states is so big that you can even travel around the country. And also I really do wish more Americans would travel outside of the vague areas where they live. Um, and, and by that, I mean, if you're a rural or suburban, go to a city for a bit because so many things like it, there is a lot of, you can't understand it unless you've been there. You know what I mean? So like I am comfortable in an art gallery. I'm also comfortable in a motorcycle dive bar, you know, I rock up on my BMW motorcycle, but I walk in there strong and my head held high and they'll serve me a beer. No problem. You know, it's kind of like tattoos. 
everyone thinks motorcycles are hard ass, but really they don't fucking care. <laughs> you know, and I'm not talking about one percenters. That's a whole fucking other thing. Yeah. Um, but most motorcycle people, you know, and because of that and trap and that travel and just seeing other people, like what is normal is so subjective and also so liminal, you know, in February, you know, normal was hanging out with going out to bars. Now normal is watching drag zones on zoom. <laughs> um, hopefully in six months, there will be a new normal. Maybe there won't be who the, who the fuck knows. Yeah. I think if this time has taught us anything is that like normal is temporary and the, you know, the adage, it's one of my favorites, this too shall pass. That's right. You know, and, and I mean that in sort of everything, seasons change, people, friends, family, relationships, you know, they all are, everything's in constant flux. Everything is constantly changing and you only feel like something's normal, but also like who hasn't started a job and it's all new. And then so quickly, it's just routine, you know, right. and then you're off that, you know, for us, you know, we're not on jobs for years. We're on job for months or days. And then you're on another job and that's, you know, your normal for Tuesday might be very different from your normal for Thursday because you went from blue bloods to blacklist. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So your normal is ever changing. Yeah. This too shall pass. Usually it's said as a negative way, but it also could be positive. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, the, um, uh, have you seen the movie Charlie Wilson's war? Yes. Philip Seymour Hoffman gives that adage about the Zen master and like, we'll see, <laughs> you know, that monologue of like, Oh, he can't go to war. This is so sad. We'll see. Oh, he didn't die because he didn't go to war. This is so good. We'll see. You know, like you don't, we don't know the end of anything until it, happens um and then there's something else you know like i stopped doing sound and got into film sound stopped for me film begun mm -hmm. i lived in philly philly was a thing for me till i moved to new york philly ended new york begun i still go back to philly so you know like did philly truly end no but also is it active in my life also no right where you're living how you're living the normal can change and who we are as people changes. Do you think change is not the right word though? It's like a, because we're ever changing. We're, there's like a transfer, transformation. We're always learning. Mm -hmm. So our normal is, is ever, our normal will change if we let our normal to change. That's true. It, yeah. That's also true. Like, like if you want to put your foot in head in the sand and, not move that's also an option because you, you said know, people but, need to travel right also there is you know then everyone like if you're not changing other people are going to change too mm -hmm. you know what i mean we all know the person who's been the same person since the day we met them but also we know plenty of people who are not that there is um, a philosophy that i learned some time ago that we're all a shape we're all a certain shape and Everyone's going to look at you as that one shape. You can change your shape physically. You can feel that you're a different shape. Maybe even you could change your shape internally, but everyone's still going to see you as that same shape. How do you feel about that? I sort of agree and sort of disagree. I, what I would say more is that everyone perceives a shape about you, mm. but in the same way, here's an example. Let's take um, a rectangular cube. 
But if you look at it from just the top down, it might look like a square. It's never been a square. Right, right. But from your perspective, it only looks like a two-dimensional square. Right. You know, and from someone else, you could look at it, it might look like a triangle, you know, because of the weird fucking angle or light or how the, you know what I mean? But that object is still that object. And then maybe someone comes along and that object gets squished or that object gets cut. You know what I mean? Like it's more, I think what's more accurate is people change, but also the, you have no control over how people will perceive you, you know? And there's also, you know, there's the, there's me, there's the Brent that I think I am. And then there's the Brent that sort of lives in Gabe's head. There's the Brent that lives in my wife's head, you know, like conception of, right. You know what I mean? There's the conception of Brent that lives in my parents' head. Right. And they are all going to be different. None of them are necessarily false. They might be. You know, someone could have a wrong idea about you. Mm-hmm. But they're also not, they're, they're both not true and also not false all at the same time. That's right. That's a great point. It's interesting that you brought, you, you brought up parents as your number three. Parents' perceptions of us or maybe I could think my parents' perceptions of me. I don't, maybe I should speak for me. I feel sometimes it's interesting that there's a point where um, the relationship stops or grows or whatever we're doing in our lives is always brought back to we're still their child. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone has that, you know, uh, anyone who went to college has that moment of the first time you come back for Thanksgiving and you are not okay with how your parents are treating you like you were still in high school. You know what I mean? Right. You know, um, I think everyone has that. I I'm very close to my parents. So I was able to be like, Hey, we need that. I'm not in high school anymore. I'm not like I'm visiting. I don't live here. You can't tell me not to go out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like I'm not under your roof anymore, you know? And I think every parent struggles with that. I can't imagine a, a parent wouldn't, Yeah. you know, yeah, I'm not there yet, but uh, yeah, well, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. It will come. Is there anything you want to say? Is there anything you want to add about the uh, aspect of normal as it pertains to you? I mean, it, I I like it's it's funny because in some ways I sort of feel like a stereotype. In some stereotype, way. okay. Yeah. Um, well, like I'm bisexual. I'm non-binary. You know, like. A, a lot of my identity is going, no, you can't make me choose. I choose all. That's right. You know, and that is inherently a perpetual state of sort of fluidity. Mm-hmm. Perpetual state of fluidity. You know, like that is the constant is that it will change. It will be different. You know, there are days where I wake up and I'm like, I am going to, I am a fucking lumberjack. I wish a motherfucker would. And there's other days where I'm like, I just want to make really nice tea and watch some cute shows. You know, like, you know, like my gender can go like is very fluid. I can feel very feminine some days and very masculine other days. Um, You know, I might find you know, my, I'm bisexual. So I just, you know, it, it can run the gamut. Yeah. Um, so those are your options. You, you said there are options and that's, you have all the options. Right. Exactly. Um, so I have become very comfortable with, and I think also partially just the nature of my work as well has been a large part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and also 
me and my parents um, growing up, we took trips a lot. We ride motorcycles, we go camping, we go backpacking. So travel is a big part of us too. Um, yeah, it's just everything's ever, ever changing. You know what I mean? And I've kind of gotten used to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting now, you know, that I'm learning about my gender and how that's changing and how that is an ongoing conversation with myself, figuring that stuff out. And like, um, not to go into details, but a couple of weeks ago, I realized, oh, I thought I was closer to done than I was. And I just fucking started, <laughs> you know what I oh, mean? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, 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 I'm glad I have it, you know, like the, the, the way I, it can be scary. It can be like, I'm not, I don't want to make a bone any, it is terrifying because in the sense of, I don't know where I'm going to end up, mm. but I'm trying to look at it. Not like that. What I'm trying to look at it as is I could become anything, you know, that maybe I become this like non-binary gender fluid, fey like weirdo eccentric creature, or maybe I become um, a trans you know, woman like nerd, or maybe I'm this like sort of trans masculine, but also bitching lipstick makeup game, (laughs) you know, but I wear tailored suits, you know, like Mm -hmm. I don't know where this is ending. And that, and I'm trying to look at that in an exciting way, you know? Yeah. Sort of like to bring it all back around. Yeah. Like it is in some ways me making my own character but it's not a game. It's my life. And that's really exciting to me on some level. You know, it's also terrifying. (laughs) I'm not going to say it isn't, but there is a joy to it. Yeah. You know, that's a beautiful Um, understanding of that. You know, I, I, one of, um, I, I was very lucky to work on pose, but I, I watched it anyway. And there's this great moment in season one where Angelica and angel, um, have a conversation. Um, and it's after Angel has been dumped by a, um, a cis straight guy. Mm-hmm. And they're like, why did we do this? Why did we do this to ourselves? You know, talking about becoming, um, in the term of the show, transsexuals, because that's what the term was at the time. But now we would understand them as, you know, trans women, trans non-binary people. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, not and Angelica is the name of the uh, actress. Candy's the name of Candy. the actress. Okay. You know how when you work on these shows, you can't think of the character names, right. know their actual names. Right, right. Yep. Um, has this thing of, you know, these guys, we're their dream, but we're our own dream girls. We built ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's such a, like, you know, I view myself a romantic in the sense of the, like, creative, the artistic movement of romanticism. Um that is such a romantic idea to me because I, I, I think I've probably told you about this. Like my main philosophy is optimism through nihilism. You said that you said that I wish I totally forgot that, but you said that I wish we could talk about more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's some is, it, it sums up as this. Okay. If nothing has any intrinsic meaning, then the only meaning is in what we ascribe to it. And I cannot think of anything more beautiful than that. Oh Yeah. I'm going to write that down. I don't forget that. That's optimism. Optimism through nihilism. It may be already a thing. I have no idea. I don't read philosophy textbooks. They're too dry for me, even though I like philosophy. So like this might be a whole fucking ism that I don't even know about, but optimism through nihilism. I like that. Yeah. You know, because 
it truly, I, I don't find anything more beautiful than that. It's like, yeah, nothing matters, but I saying you matter or this matters and just going, I don't care. I know it actually doesn't matter, but I am choosing to act like it matters. Mm -hmm. um, could that also be a saying that uh, things happen for a reason or we put a reason onto them because of things happen? I think we put a reason on, that's my personal philosophy, right. is that right. we put a reason onto things. That's a beautiful way to wrap it all up. We've come back to RPG. Mm -hmm. We've come back to talking about putting reasons on things and it's optimism through nihilism. Do you think, do you consider people who are going or have gone through or are not sure about what to do about the feelings they have or are stuck in the forest and haven't moved or they haven't met the right people to help them guide them through the forest? It's, I, I personally feel it's a brave thing to, to be secure in oneself. I think it's very brave on any level. Mm -hmm. So what do you say, I know you're still going through your own transitional time, <laughs> but before 2017, before you put the lipstick on, is there anything that you want to say to people? So are who, sort of like in there, you know, haven't talked to anyone, but are like thinking about these things? Thinking about it, they're questioning it, they're confused. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, to say? The one thing I want to, you know, a the I was I was at um a re the that con that sci-fi con I talked about before Arija mm -hmm. and I went to um a trans and non-binary Skillshare which was just a big group circle and just hey let's does someone have questions about how to navigate stuff from you know that sort of through that lens mm -hmm. you know and I had some questions about um unfortunately because of COVID my wedding had to get postponed the ceremony. Oh, um, right. But I had some questions of like, hey, uh, wow, there is nothing more cis than a marriage stuff. Yeah. Jesus yeah. Christ, I'm trying to make it so that I don't feel like, you know what I mean? Like, how do I make it so that I feel authentic on my wedding day right. and not just slot it into, well, you're the, she's the bride. And well, that means you're the groom automatically because you're not a woman, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and that was sort of my thing. But one of the things that really came up is cis people generally, I'm not saying there aren't some, but cis people generally do not question whether they're trans or trans enough for years. That's not a, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So if you're already questioning it, welcome to the club. I, I will sit, your card is in the mail. You'll join the trans union. You know, mm -hmm. I'm your union rep. You can call me. Uh, <laughs> but that the, the first thing is talk to trans people, talk to other non-gender conforming people. Talk to people who have the lived-in experience um, and expose yourself to these things. You know, do you have a Netflix account and you're wondering if you're trans? Watch Pose. See if that clicks with you. Mm -hmm. Watch other shows that have trans characters in them. See if that clicks. Read um, about what people... Listen, trans people love talking about being trans. There's blogs, Twitters, Tumblrs, all sorts of podcasts. There's all sorts of stuff that's free and out there. Go check it out and, you know, see where it takes you. I, I say this as someone who has been told this. I've had two people in Local 600 come to me and go, hey, seeing you be comfortable on set made me realize that, wait a minute, there's some things about me. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah. It's hard to imagine yourself unless you can see it. Right. You know, imagine like, imagine trying to make techno music without never listening to techno music. If someone just describing it to you, 
it wouldn't sound it would sound wild i would love to hear that but it wouldn't sound like techno you know what i mean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and it's the same sort of thing is you can't how are you going to imagine a future you've never heard or even seen oh that's a great way to put it wow you know like mm -hmm. and to put it into a historical context the divine right of kings was thought as a basic law of the universe until it wasn't you know, yeah. until someone went, wait a minute, we could do something different. Right. You know, same way for me, you know, and I've watched even before I, you know, my friend talked to me, I watched plenty of trans shows with trans characters. I read books with trans characters, but it wasn't until someone, but I saw all of that. And then, so when my friend talked to me, it wasn't just a, well, that's not a thing. I don't know what that looks like, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I hope that's an answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. I think that's a great answer. And I hope there are, you know, if, if people listen to the show, you know, and, and they have questions and may hopefully your words will uh, give them strength. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, them, and they can yeah. reach out to me. I don't mind. Um, yeah. I'll give you my, uh, my, my Twitter is just BS, my last name. BS. Yeah. BS Weichel. Uh, B S W E I C H S E L. Yeah, I'm not going to imagine anyone knows how to spell Weichel. <laughs> well, Brent, thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you for talking about everything. My pleasure. I love talking about this. Like, yeah. I one thing I I often tell people is if people are asking questions in good faith, I would gladly talk about it because like two years ago I didn't know half of the shit. I, I didn't know eighty ninety percent of the shit I know now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like. No one, no one knows this shit off the bat. You right. Know? There's no manual. You know. Yeah. There's no manual, and also like, it's like I say this as someone who is in it and going through it. It is hard to keep track of like what the current terms are, even if for someone in the community. Let alone, I don't know anything about this. Wait, what? Right. You know what I mean? You read something from ten years ago. It's gonna. It will be using language that we do not find acceptable today. Right. Um. Right. I am not. Personally, I don't feel like that's necessarily bad as long as it's sort of addressed within the medium if it's reprinted or whatever. Mm -hmm. But also, I think there's an understanding of, you know, I don't like looking through a contemporary lens necessarily on people who were clearly acting in good faith in the past. You know what I mean? We're all products of our time to a certain extent. We can fight against the time or we can reinforce the time. But, you know, we all are alive in 2020. Right. Right. Um, and, and to not acknowledge those sort of like just historical past, I think, can be really detrimental. Well, that's how we grow. Brent, I just want to say thank you so much for <laughs> welcoming my invite to come on the show and, and talk about everything. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, dude. What an incredible conversation with Brent. If you are having a challenging time with your own transition, identity and gender confusion, or just not feeling comfortable in your own skin, Brent has offered their open arms to you. Brent Weichel's Twitter handle is at B-S-W-E-I-C-H-S-E-L, and that will be on the episode description page. And also, please feel free to share your thoughts on this topic or on other topics or issues that are mentioned in the show on Facebook, Twitter, email, or voicemail. During the show, Brent expressed their fascination for cello and their love for a particular cellist, Zoe Keating. She's an incredible musician. You should check out her live performances to watch how she layers in and loops in her own cello playing. 
So now, with personal permission by her to include her song in the show, please enjoy Zoe Keating perform "Optimist." <laughs> 